Welcome to the First Christian Church podcast of Ray, Colorado. We're sorry, but due to some technical issues, this sermon was not recorded in its entirety. We still hope and pray that you will be blessed by what you hear today. This is our third year participating in Advent Conspiracy. I think the first year we raised three, four thousand dollars. Last year, our second year, we raised ten thousand dollars, and uh, this year it's going to be more. And I'm excited uh, for Advent Cons- Advent Conspiracy this year. So uh, be sure to uh, come during our Advent series and Advent sermon, uh, uh, season this year. Yeah, you'll be blessed. So uh, today we wrap up our uh, whirlwind tour of the Bible. Uh, We've been in a nine-week series called God's Big Picture, and uh, hopefully throughout this series, you've experienced kind of an overview of Scripture. Uh, Someone this week commented that uh, the sermon series has helped them connect parts of the Scriptures that they didn't see relationships in before. And so today, uh, we're going to try to put a nice bow on top of this thing, and we're going to cover the book of Revelations in one sermon. Yeah. Next time I dream up something like preaching through the Bible in nine weeks, somebody hit me really hard uh, or something like that. So, no, I'm serious. Hit me really hard. Um, uh, Thanks, Owen. I appreciate that. Today we're going to look at the book of Revelation. And uh, obviously it's at the very end of the Bible. And it's something that we all, for the most part, are very curious about. Wouldn't you love to know the future? huge advantages. Think of the advantage you'd have on the stock market if you knew the future. If you knew back in the early 80s what Apple would be worth today, think of the advantage you would have in the world. Uh, If you knew all the winners of the World Series games, think of the killing you could make in Las Vegas Uh, Think of all of the advantages you would have if you knew what was going to happen in the future. Wouldn't you love that? The only thing I don't really care to know about in the future is my death. More likely, how I will die. (laughs) Most of us would prefer maybe to skip that part. But I would love to know the winning lotto tickets, the winning numbers. I, I would love to know all sorts of things about the future. And just think of the advantage you would have in this world if you knew the future. Well, the book of Revelation is going to disappoint you because you will still not know the future. But you will have read the end of the story and you will have a picture, albeit an incomplete one, and albeit a, 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 a dark picture, but a picture nonetheless of the future. A picture of the end. Today we're going to uh, dive right in because uh, we've got a lot of ground to cover. And uh, what I seek to do today is just kind of give you a, a thumbnail sketch, an overview of the book of Revelations. And we're going to hit four different scenes in the book that I think help capture a lot of the book of Revelation. And, and before we do that, we need to familiarize ourselves with the book completely. Now, uh, before I get too far into this, if you are in your reading and you've been doing the Bible in 90 Days challenge, uh, you're still in the book of Jeremiah. <laughs> the Old Testament's really big. It's really long. It's two-thirds of the Bible. 
And you will get to read Revelations and you'll finish up on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day if you've kept track and you're on track with the reading. Uh, but today we're finishing up the series. So I just wanted to clarify if you're going, I'm way behind. I am supposed to be in Revelation? No, uh, not yet. But keep reading. The book of Revelation is not a book. It's a letter. And that's something that we often forget. It was a letter and it was a letter written to seven churches in what is now modern-day Turkey. And if we forget that fact, we will make all sorts of interpretive mistakes with this book, okay, with this letter. It was a letter, and every single time a letter is written, every single time, it is what they call an occasional document. There is an occasion for which you wrote the letter, correct? Yeah, okay. Everybody here? I mean, I I haven't lulled you to sleep yet, I hope. It's an occasional document. For instance, when it's somebody's birthday, it's an occasion you send them a birthday card. Wouldn't make sense if it wasn't their birthday to send them a birthday card, would it? And so when you send them a birthday card, it's an occasion that, that, that prompts you to send them the card. And maybe you write some things in there. If, you, if you're really good friends with them, if you're, if you're like me and you're the son of dad and you send, you know, kind of off-color, humorous color uh, cards to him, uh, it only makes sense if you understand the whole relationship, right? It's like, ah, that's your kid. You're making funny jokes about dad. Um, I wouldn't send those cards to any of you. <laughs> And if I did, you'd be like, what? <laughs> he sent this card to me? This thing sounds like something he'd send to his dad. You're exactly right. I got the address wrong. And so we understand that when a letter is sent, there's a relationship in that letter that's being referenced. And so in Revelation, in the first three chapters, it starts off right away by saying this is the Revelation of John, and it's actually the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's given to John by Jesus as he's on the island of Patmos and he's under arrest, house arrest. He's probably in his 70s, 80s, maybe 90s, some biblical scholars think. He's an old man and he is seeing crazy visions and dreams and having really interesting experiences and he writes these things down. But it starts out in a time and place, he references seven churches. And all of these churches are experiencing different things. They're in different parts of their life cycle as a church. One of them, Jesus says, you're dead. You're a dead church. Ever been to a dead church? Hope not. I've been to one. It's boring. It's painful. You just want it to end. Don't think just because you want to end now, this is a dead church necessarily, but uh, we've all been to dead churches perhaps, and dead churches are difficult places to navigate. And by the way, Jesus has been to lots of dead churches. He quits going after a while, but he's been to dead churches, and he saw in Sardis, one of these churches, you're a dead church. You have the appearance of being alive on the outside, but inside you're just dead. And all these churches are in different places of their life cycle. One of them, Laodicea, uh, he says, you're neither hot nor cold. You're lukewarm. Anybody like lukewarm water, Coke, coffee, milk? 
yeah, we understand what Jesus is saying. I'd rather you be cold, like an ice cold fill in the blank, or a nice hot chocolate coffee fill in the blank. But no, you're lukewarm. I'm going to spit you out of my mouth, says Jesus. It's not a picture of you got to be cold against Jesus or on fire for Jesus. It's a picture of uh, cold and hot are both good things. We appreciate a cold beverage or a hot beverage. None of us really like lukewarm beverages. Jesus doesn't either. He spits them out of his mouth. This is a very occasional document. And so one of the things we need to remember is that an occasional document has a reason that it was written. It's an occasion. The occasion here for these seven churches is that they are under great duress. They are under persecution. They are coming under difficult times. They're experiencing horrible things in their communities. And one thing that we have to remember is when we interpret this book, this letter, If it couldn't have meant to them what it means, what we think it means to us, then we probably are wrong, okay? Oftentimes, when we read the book of Revelation, we're like, oh, well, that's a helicopter. Well, the original audience wouldn't have thought about helicopters. And so we can't give those kind of interpretations when we read about certain things in this book, Now, one other thing I need to tell you is it is apocalyptic literature, and this was a common form of literature in the ancient world. And apocalyptic literature is, you find examples in the ancient world, and they were always like a tract that was written to people who were experiencing persecution. Isn't that weird? It was kind of like, like if you experience the death of a loved one and you go to Spellman Schmidt Funeral Home, they give you a little pamphlet, don't they, dealing with the death of a loved one? That's what this is. How to deal when stuff happens. Here, read this. Now, that's not at all what we think of apocalyptic literature, do we? (laughs) We think, what does it mean? And who's the beast? And blah, 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 blah. No, but this is something that if you're going through hard times, you need to pick up and read the book of Revelation. Huh? You kidding me? If I'm really bored and want to have some excitement in my life, maybe I read the Revelation. If I want to get really confused, I read Revelation. But if I'm having a hard time in my life, read the book of Revelations. You see, apocalyptic literature was written to people who are having difficult times and experiences in life. That's the case in these seven churches. Now, one thing we know, too, is that it's apocalyptic literature, but it's also prophecy. And we're all into prophecy, probably. Uh, We all want to know about the future. And one of the things that the prophecies in Revelation is doing, at least according to one school of thought, is that it is telling us about the future and it's giving us some ideas about the end times. But one thing we have to be super clear on, prophecy is super easy to understand looking back and really hard to understand looking forward. Okay? In fact, throughout the Old Testament, throughout uh, the prophecies of Scripture, you see this time and time again where prophecies actually have a double fulfillment oftentimes. Anybody ever been uh, hiking in the mountains and hiked like a, a tall, a high peak, like a 14er or something like that? When you hike those things, you reach these things called false summits, like you're down on a, on a boulder field and you're walking up and you're looking up. You're like, oh, that's the summit. It's got to be the summit. I'm dying here. That better be the summit. You get to that thing 
And as you make it up, you'll see this huge mountain, and you're like, oh my gosh, there's more? And oftentimes that's how prophecy works. In fact, when you're driving west and you look towards Estes Park and you see Long's Peak, and when you can see this really well from Denver, in Denver you don't see a whole lot of Long's Peak. You actually see more of uh, Mount Bierstadt, I believe is what it is. And when you get up further north, they start to separate from each other, and then you start seeing Long's Peak and Mount Bierstadt. And when you're closer, you can't see Long's as much as you can see Mount Bierstadt. Well, prophecy works the same way, where uh, you have one interpretation or one fulfillment of that prophecy, and then there's a second one later on. Now, let me give you an example. Since it's almost Christmas, here's a Christmassy example. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Everybody knows this passage that's been any time in church world. Um, even if you've been to a great musical before. It's not a musical, it's a, it's a symphony. Handel's Messiah. Um, Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. When you read the context of this, I remember the first time I read it and I'm like, this isn't about Christmas. This is about Isaiah's wife having a child and that being a sign to the king that he's going to win. In fact, that's what it says. It's very clear. That's what this passage is about. In fact, the Hebrew word that we translate virgin is really the Hebrew word for young maiden, which can mean virgin, but it can oftentimes mean young woman. And so when the original audience heard this prophecy and read this prophecy, they looked forward to the day that Isaiah's wife would have a child. And guess what? She had a kid. They named him Emmanuel. But then when you flip into the New Testament, then you see Matthew uh, and the other New Testament writers saying that this is a fulfillment of the prophecy in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. You're like, oh, I just drove up north a little bit and Mount Bierstadt and Mount uh, Long's Peak just kind of split on me there. There's, There's two meanings, and this happens all the time in Scripture. So guess what happens when you read the book of Revelation? probably going to be the same thing going on. So uh, we need to be very careful when we read the book of Revelation. Another thing you see in the book of Revelation, it's strange. I mean, let's really be honest, shall we? It's just weird. In a moment, we'll see that as we look at these four different scenes. There's just really weird stuff in it. And part of it is because it's written in symbols. It's written in symbolic language. It's not always literal. It's figurative. It's metaphorical. It's symbolic. Uh, we use symbols all the time. And the reason that this was written symbolically was because it was written to people who were subversive to the Roman Empire. You didn't want the Romans hearing what you're talking about out and come down and beat you up. So instead of talking about Rome is going to fall because it's this pagan, you say there's this beast with seven heads and seven horns. And then if the Roman authorities go, hey, that kind of sounds like us, you're like, hey, I'm just writing fiction about a beast. And so there's all this symbolism. In fact, we do this today, don't we? Uh, truckers on CB radios, they say stuff like this. 
I was cruising down the strip with the hammer down when I saw a smoky flip-flop. He's now at my back door, so I'm rolling double nickels because I don't want to get any green stamps. Any truckers in the house? I mean, we might know what that means if we think about it. I was, ro- I was cruising with the hammer down. I was driving fast. I was driving as fast as I wanted. When I saw a Smokey, that's a state patrolman, uh, flip-flop. He did a U-turn and started my way. This isn't that funny. <laughs> He, he's now at my back door. He's, he's now behind me. He's right on my tail. And I'm rolling double nickels. I'm driving 55. It's an old school kind of thinking. Because I don't want to get any green stamps. I don't want to get a ticket. It's code. It's symbolic language. It, it all means something. And for us in our culture, it's easy to kind of figure that out. And, and, and if you're familiar with you know, truck errors at all, you know that, they, that that is what it means. And given a little thought, you can figure it out. Well, guess what? Book of Revelation has symbol, symbolism all over it. And it was written in a different language. It was written 2,000 years ago, and it's hard to figure out what they're talking about sometimes. And so uh, when we read the book of Revelation, it's weird, it's strange, and there's symbolism. Uh, it's a difficult book to understand. Another thing that makes it difficult is that it is not in chronological order. Um, we like to think of it as such, but I believe it's not in chronological order. In fact, one biblical scholar, I think he's right when he says it's more of a spiral. That when you read the book of Revelation, it's the spiral that it's taking you on. And it's spiraling back and forth between time and time before time and future time. And you don't, sometimes don't, you get dizzy. You're not quite sure where you're at on the spiral, but it's talking about all these events, and we're going to see this in a moment when we look at some of the highlights, but when you see it from a different perspective, you realize, oh, we've been in this territory before. I've been here before. And then you realize, huh, this is all new. Hey, that's similar. I don't know. what. So it's a spiral, and it's difficult sometimes to figure out what's going on because it's not chronological. Now, there's four dominant views amongst biblical scholars on how to understand the book of Revelation. Aren't you thrilled that there's only four? There's probably more. As many biblical scholars there are out there, there's probably that many views. But there's four dominant views. And let me hit those really quickly for you. One of the things that we do that we make a mistake is we think all the views are the same. And and we think that everybody looks at it the same way. And that if you don't look at it the way we look at it, then you're wrong and you don't love Jesus. And that's just not at all the case. The first way that biblical scholars look at the book of Revelation is futurists. And most people who call themselves evangelical Christians nowadays are futurists. And they see it as describing things that will happen in the future. future. Thank you very much. Things that will happen in the future. So if you've ever read the Left Behind series, uh, that is a futurist view of Revelation. By the way, that's a very young theological view of Revelation. The vast majority of Christians throughout history have not seen the book of Revelation that way. The vast majority of Christians alive today don't see the book of Revelation that way. So if you hold those views, you're in the minority, just warning you. Second, historicist view. These are people who see it as describing events through history that repeat over and over. It's just describing this grand uh, struggle between good and evil. 
in symbolic ways. And so they don't take it very literal. And there's good reason sometimes to not take parts of it literal because it's symbolism. And so historicists see it as just a description of history from the biblical perspective. Then there's the preterist view. And preterist is from the Latin, which means stuff that's already happened. Um, And a preterist sees the whole book of Revelation as already having been fulfilled. It's already happened. Uh, The last view is idealists. And idealists see it as there's nothing literal and that everything is symbolic in the book of Revelation. And that is just describing this great struggle between good and evil. There's four different views. And so let me start by saying a warning. When we interpret the book of Revelation, we must be humble. When we say the book of Revelation, we need to be humble. I know good men and women who are in each one of those camps, by the way. I know good men and women who I have no doubt who will be in heaven because they love Jesus Christ, who will be at the feast with me and you all, who have different views of how to interpret the book of Revelation. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Think you got the big idea of Revelation? It's going to get really, really, really bad. But God wins. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these promises in your word that uh, you will one day, you, it's hard to believe, you yourself will wipe away our tears and you will put the world, world to rights. You will make everything good. Thank you that you are in the midst of the really, really bad things that happen. Thank you that you're always on your throne, that Jesus has won the war through his death. Thank you that you win. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. May you know this is true. It's going to get really, really bad. But God wins. Amen.